Good to be back with you all in, uh, this morning. I don't know about you guys, but it's been a long week. Has anyone here had a long week? Amen. <laughs> thankful to be back in the presence of the Lord. You know, one of the things I was reflecting upon this week as I was uh, thinking through this upcoming message, thinking through the passages that we are about to read, is just how fantastic I think the Bible really is. You think about the collection of voices contained within the Bible. Dozens of authors over nearly a millennium looking at God, reflecting at God from different life circumstances, different moments in history. And thinking about that, when we come to the scriptures, we have a symphony of voices. A symphony of perspectives, a symphony of metaphors, a symphony of language opening up to us just how big this God is. God is always a little bit bigger, amen, church? Amen. Oh, it doesn't matter what I've been through. God always managed to be just a little bit bigger than what I assume, amen, church? Amen. So this morning I want to look not at one voice in the Bible, I want to look at two voices in particular, and the ways in which these two voices harmonize to show us that God, and particularly God's mission for us, is always just a little bit bigger. Can we rise for the reading of Scripture this morning? Our first reading will come from the book of Joel. This is how the book of Joel opens. Joel chapter 1. It says, And the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Bethuel. Hear this, O elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days, or in the days of your ancestors? It continues. Tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Here's the curious part. What, a, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. And I know uh, we're all now thinking, where is this sermon going to go with all this multitude of locusts? But now let's look at John chapter 4. This is the famous story when Jesus encounters a woman at the well. And it concludes with Jesus saying, For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I tell you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. The word of God to the people of God. There is a uh, famous old rabbinic story that's been told for many generations among Jewish rabbis, been passed from generation to generation. It's finally recorded in the text of Kohelet uh, Rabbah. There's a famous story about a Roman emperor. His name was Hadrian, 2nd century AD. And the thing we have to understand about Emperor Hadrian in a lot of Jewish folklore is that he was considered a very wicked and uh, cruel emperor, as emperors often were when we tell stories about the ancient world. But there's a famous story, Emperor Hadrian was traveling through the region of Tiberias, he was traveling through these groves of trees, and there he comes upon an elderly Jewish man, a very old Jewish man, who is there laboring in the hot sun, digging holes to plant yet more trees. And so Adrian, admittedly in a bit of a mocking tone, comes up to this old Jewish man who is laboring under the hot sun. 
He says to him, you there, graybeards. That, that's a little translation of the Aramaic, graybeards. Call them some the He says, you there, graybeard, did you not work hard enough in your youth that now you have to work hard in your old age? The old man responded, he said, no, I, I worked quite hard when I was young. And I will work quite hard as long as God strengthens these hands. And uh, the, the emperor was quite impressed with that uh, response. And he, he looked at the old man and he said, Indeed, you are quite old. You don't actually expect to live long enough to eat the fruit off this tree that you're planting, do you? And so the emperor asked the old man, he said, How old are you? And the old man said, uh, I am a hundred years old today. And the emperor looked at him and said, yep, no way you're eating fruit off this tree. <laughs> but the old man looked at him and said, eh, maybe not. I will live as long as God grants me the strength. And perhaps I will live long enough to eat the fruit off this tree. But even if I don't, my entire life I was sustained by the fruits that grew on the trees planted by those who came before me. Why should I not continue the selfless acts and plant trees for the next generation? Oh, the emperor was very impressed with this. And so the emperor said, you know, uh, if you do live long enough to enjoy this fruit, let me know. I want to hear about it. Well, the years they came and went. The seasons they changed. The rains came and watered the trees. And sure enough, the trees sprouted. They bloomed and they blossomed into magnificent juicy figs. And so the elderly man, he lived long enough to pull the figs off those trees. He was gathering them and he thought, you know what? I should go share some of these with the emperor. <laughs> and so the elderly man, he grabs a, a sack, he fills it with some figs, and he travels to the emperor's palace. There he comes before the gate guards. And the gate guards look at him a bit confused as to why this elderly Jewish man is bringing figs for the emperor. But, after much persuasion, they send a message to the emperor, and the emperor says, yes, I, I think I do remember that man. Please, let him in, let him in. I'm glad to hear that he, that he is still living. And the elderly man comes in, and he comes before the emperor of the Roman Empire, and he says, well, emperor, I just thought you might like to enjoy some of these figs with and the emperor was so pleased, he ordered his servants, bring a golden chair for this elderly man. Let him sit with me as we eat these figs. Then he told another servant, he said, take the sack and fill it with gold. And so this elderly man leaves the emperor's palace with this great honor. And with a newfound fortune, a sack full of gold. Well, the man returns home, and his neighbors are all congratulating him. He was just honored by the emperor. He has a newfound fortune, and... Uh, as is customary in many of these stories and in many of our own communities, there is usually at least one among our number who is uh, concerned with the business of our neighbors, shall we say? <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. We all know what we're talking about. And so there is one neighbor, and she sees this man who had just gotten a fortune. And so she goes to her husband, and she kicks him, and she says, Get up, you lazy bag of bones. Don't you see that the emperor likes figs? Quick, she says, get a sack and fill it, and go to the emperor. He'll give you gold for it. And so the husband goes to get a sack, and she says, no, no, don't be foolish like our neighbor. Get a big sack. 
And so the man goes, he gets the biggest sack he can find, he fills it with as many figs as he can find, he loads it up on a donkey, he goes to the emperor's palace, uh, he's standing there before the gate guards, the gate guards are very confused, what is he doing here? And he says, I heard the emperor likes figs, and I would like gold. <laughs> Not a great way to introduce yourself to a Roman emperor, by the way, just historically speaking. <laughs> the guards... They send a message to the emperor, and the emperor says, I don't know this guy. No. But you have to remember, Emperor uh, Hadrian has a reputation for being kind of cruel, and so he tells the guards, he says, you need to teach this man not to waste a period of time. And so the guards come back, and they stand the man up in front of the gate, take his sack of figs, and they open them up, and everyone who passed through the gate would have to take figs and throw it at this man. Well, unfortunately for him, he brought a very big sack. And so he was there all day. And when he finally came home, he had fig juice dripping off of his beard. He was bruised. He was swollen. He comes into his house, and his wife looks at him and says, where's the gold? He takes a deep breath, as you often do, such conversations with his spouse. <laughs> and he says, oh, my dear, if only you had been there to share in my moments of glory. <laughs> he told her the whole story from beginning to end, and then he concluded by saying, you should have been there, you would have made a better target. <laughs> Husbands, don't say that. Just pastoral advice. <laughs> she looks at him very unsympathetically and says, be thankful it wasn't coconuts, they would have killed you. <laughs> Great old rabbit humor. <laughs> so it's the, the Aramaic is actually escrogeen, but we don't have escrogeen in America. So it's like, I say that and no one would get it. It's a very hard fruit. You don't want to get hit by it. <laughs> you know what the moral of the story is? We benefit from the labor of all those who have come before us happily. We benefit from the labor of all those who devoted their lives to giving us what we have today. And when we've received that, we understand that we are part of that. That gives us a responsibility, doesn't it? To pay it forward, doesn't it? It gives us a responsibility to continue that self-assessment in preparing the way for the next generation. Planting trees for those who will come after us. And you see, my friends, there is a fundamental recognition here that our work is not our own. That our labor is not our own. And that's the thing I want us to think about this morning, church, as we are thinking about what it looks like to be on mission for God in 2019. <clears throat> Turn and tell someone, we're on mission. Turn and tell someone else, we are on mission. We're continuing the theme from last week about what it looks like to be on mission for God as a community, as a church. What does God have in store for us? We are preparing to celebrate our four-year anniversary. And we know that God has done great things and that God is going to continue to do great things. Amen? Amen. And it's amazing how just when we, when we start to think, oh, we've seen how wonderful our God is, He goes and blows our mind again, doesn't He? Yes. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like to be on mission for God? <coughs> to what task is God calling us in this year? And so we look, we pray, contemplate, we look at the world around us, and we look at the world within it. You know, trying to discern what mission God has for us, that, that involves a lot of self-reflection. What talents has God given us? What passions has God given us? 
And then we look out to the world and we look, where is the need? What need do we see? And then we come back to the scriptures for guidance. And then we look back out to the world to see where is the need. And then we look back to the scriptures for guidance. And it's amazing how in between this space, the space between the world we live in and the guidance of the scriptures, the space between the questions that we have in the present and the wisdom of the past, it's in that space where we can often find the mission God has for us. It's in the space between struggling schools and Jesus' commandment to let the children come and we just might find our mission. It's in the space between hospital bedrooms and James' instructions to pray for those in their time of sickness that we just might find our mission. It's in the space between polarized political discourse and Jesus' commandments to love our neighbors that we just might find our mission. That space between the CNN headlines about violence around the world and what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's in the space between the needs of today and the directions of Scripture where we oftentimes find our mission. Turn and tell someone we're on mission. We're on mission. And so you see, my friends, as we reflect upon what it looks like to be on mission for God in 2019, I want to tease out a few theological implications, if I could, about one particular observation that I have here about the book of Joel. You see, my friends, and when we turn to the book of Joel, we have to understand a few things. Joel is writing to a particularly different moment, or difficult moment, in the history of the Jewish people. The people were living in a poor and fragmented society. They've been torn apart by war and by genocide. Their ancestors were forced to leave their homelands. They came back many generations later, hoping to rebuild, only to face discouragements, disillusionments, to begin asking the question if their labor really even mattered. They planted only to have another nation turn up to eat the fruits of their fields. They worked only to improve the comfort of others. And so, my friends, if, if I may be permitted for just a moment, I would like to pause to make quite explicit my hermeneutic here this morning, to make quite explicit the mode of interpretation here this morning. Because, my friends, the truth is that the world of Joel is a world away from our world today. The truth is that the social conditions into which Joel is speaking is very different than the world we are used to. Joel's worldview is very different than our worldview. Joel's assumptions are very different than our assumptions. Joel's situations are very different than Joel's situations. And all it takes is us flipping through our news headlines to see that the trials and troubles of our society are not necessarily the trials and troubles that Joel is looking at. And I want to make quite explicit that historical gap today. Because as we listen to hear Joel's voice again uh, across that historical gap, I want us to recognize that Joel has a particularly profound observation that I think might be appropriate for us at the beginning of 2019 as we are reflecting upon what it looks like to be on mission for God. Please turn and tell someone, we're on mission. We're on mission. Joel begins by summoning the people to hear this. He summons the generations. Hear this, you elders. Give ear all inhabitants of the land. 
They ask him a question. Have you seen this before? What is happening? Have you seen this before? Did those who come before you, have they seen this before? And he tells them something. He says, look, what God is doing in your midst, what is about to take place is something you are going to tell the next generation of. You're going to tell your children. Your children are going to tell their children. And their children are going to tell the next generation. You see, here's the thing, my friends. Joel calls his audience to attention. He opens with a question and then he tells them, this thing matters, not just for you, but for those who are going to come after you. Your children need to pass this on. Their children need to pass it on. Generation after generation. And you see, what, what I find particularly intriguing about Joel here, as, as I'm reading, is that Joel actually lists out four generations. Don't know if you caught this. But I think the number four is particularly significant in Joel for when we keep reading. See, we keep reading, and this is where we get the imagery of the locusts. And now everyone's like, where are we going? We haven't had a locust plague around here in a while. Wait, this is Waco. Never mind. We, do, we get the crickets, don't we? Okay, close enough. We can relate. But here's what Joel says, okay? He says, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left... The destroying locusts see. I find this interesting. When Joel identifies the problem, the, the, the source of the physical problems that the people are looking at, people are facing, okay, he says there, there were actually four sequences of events that led to this. And then he tells them, when you're going to talk about what God does in this moment, you're going to pass this on to four generations. I don't think that's quite by accident. You see, here's the thing. When we look at the locusts in Joel, Joel has a remarkable way with literary symbols, with metaphors. Joel has a remarkable way of saying something that in fact means two things at once. And I think when we look at the locusts, we see that they are in fact far more menacing than a mere plague of locusts. You see, when I read this, and the first locusts come, they eat, the second locusts come, and they eat what's left, that makes it sound like nothing's going to be left, right? Yeah, it seems like that should be everything. So why is there anything left for the third locust left? And then apparently they eat everything, but then there's still something left. Which makes me think that the locusts are probably more than just locusts. See, I think the locusts may in fact be symbolic for something far more menacing going on throughout the history of the Jewish people. Something far more problematic that they have faced over and over again. And every time they manage to survive, just barely, just barely to end up right back in the same situation make another observation. In Joel chapter 2, it tells us that the locusts come from the north. In ancient Palestine, locusts came from the south. You know what came from the north? Invaders. Armies. Empires. And you see, we see in Joel chapter 2, Joel begins describing the locusts as if they are armies coming. In Joel chapter 2, it actually ends by calling the locusts an army. And we see all throughout the ancient world, they oftentimes presented locusts as invaders, armies. Doesn't matter from the port city of Ugarit, okay, up in northern Canaan, down to the ancient hieroglyphs of Egypt. They often referred to foreign armies as locusts. Why does this matter? You see, my friends, Joel understands something. Joel understands that the present challenges of the community did not simply pop up overnight. Joel understands that the present conditions into which the people of God must now act did not simply emerge in a moment. And you see, my friends, Joel understands that the task to which God calls his people 
It's a task that is going to uh, develop over many generations. We did not get here after a single locust plague. We did not get here overnight. And so what makes us think we're going to solve this problem in a moment? Here's the thing. When we face challenges in society that were generations in the making, what makes us think it's not going to take solutions that it take generations to implement? And here's the question. Are we willing to put our hands to the plow? Are we willing to take up a mission knowing that this is a work that is going to continue long after us? Turn to tell someone we're on a mission. No, my friends, because if I may be permitted to take a moment to dwell on this point, when we face challenges that have been generations in the making, then it may require a solution that will take generations of implementing. When we look around at the challenges in our community, the truth is that many of them did not happen overnight. When we look at the difficulties in society, the truth is that many of them do not simply spring up in a moment. They are oftentimes decades in the making. Generations in the making. And so are we to really think that we will solve them overnight? 2018 was filled with rather challenging news headlines oftentimes. We read headlines about a United States-made bomb dropped on children in Yemen. That is a problem. We read headlines. We see the statistics coming out. Challenges in our society, we know that they didn't spring up overnight. You realize we live in a society that is willing to spend three times more money in per year incarcerating someone as an adult than we are willing to spend per year on that same person as a child educated. Do you realize that? And the truth is that that did not spring up overnight, my friends. The truth of the matter is that we have had a long history being in a society that will value corporate profits over human lives. And so I'm going to step off of this soapbox for a moment because I'm not standing here speaking to our policymakers. I'm standing here speaking to One Fellowship Church. You see, my friends, when we are going to be on mission for God, we have to realize that the mission is so much bigger than us. When we are on mission for God in this world, we have to realize that the situations into which we are called to speak, the world into which we are called to serve, is going to be so much bigger than us as individuals. God's mission is always bigger than us. Turn and tell someone it's bigger than me. Turn and tell someone else it's bigger than me. See, my friends, if I'm going to be on mission for God in this world, then I have to recognize that God's mission began before me and that God's mission will continue after me. I have to recognize that I'm going to pick up the work of those who have come before me and that I'm going to hand it on to the next generation. Turn and tell someone God's mission is bigger than me. You see, my friends, and in some respects, even though when I look at the big societal problems that I believe the church must address in the present day, I recognize when I see these big problems, sometimes it can be paralyzing. But then I remember, it's not my job to save the world. The world already has a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. It is my job to be obedient in the present moment that he has given me. Just like he has called those before us to be obedient in their moments. Just like he calls those after us to be obedient in their moments. It's not my job to save the world. It's my job to be obedient in the moment he has given me. Turn and tell someone, it's bigger than me. You see, my friends, the mission of God spans generations. The mission of God traverses the nations. The mission of God will transcend the borders and the boundaries that we have between people in our society. The mission of God is always bigger than you. 
And that's what we have to realize if we want to be on mission in 2019. Turn and tell someone it's bigger than me. We read in John chapter 4 what Jesus says when he's speaking to the woman at the well. And the disciples come back and the woman's already going out spreading the news about this Jesus. And Jesus tells the disciples at the end of John chapter 4, he says, this saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor before. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. You see, my friends, when we enter into mission with God, we pick up something that has been going on long before us. We build upon the work of those who have come before us, which also means we have a responsibility to lay a foundation for those who are going to come after us. Here's the question. Are we willing to set out working on mission for God in 2019? Recognizing we may labor in the field if we're not going to be the ones to reap there. Recognizing that it's not about us. It's about our God. And our God is so much bigger than us, isn't it? Yes. Turn and tell someone God is bigger. God is bigger. Turn and tell someone the mission is bigger. The mission is bigger. It's bigger than me. Bigger than me. Let me return to the book of Joel before I get too sidetracked, friends. You see, my friends. We see that the task to which God calls us matters. This is something that Joel recognizes. It matters not just for us, but it matters for those who come after us. For the generations to come. You see, when Joel summons his audience, Joel summons his audience to the task at hand, it is obvious that there is a need in the world around them. There is an obvious need in their community. Joel calls them to speak, to act in the midst of the situation, to seek their God. But here's what Joel recognizes that I want us to hear this morning. Joel recognizes that the actions of one generation, the actions of this generation, matter for the next. You will pass this on to the next generation. You will tell them of it, and it will guide them. And they will pass it on to the next generation, and they will pass it on to those after them. You see, my friends, the reason why I want us to recognize this is because sometimes when we approach the mission of God, we can approach it very individualistic. Sometimes when I ask God what he has in store for me in 2019, I ask that question in the singular, what do you have in store for me in 2019? And, and it's, it's no surprise because we live in a very individualistic society. We get that message all over, and that's not a bad thing. Okay? There, there are many great aspects of that, many great qualities to that. But when we think about being on a mission for God, we have to remember that the mission is bigger than me individually. The mission is bigger than me. When I want to be on mission for God, the work is not mine alone. We, we see this in uh, when the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul uses this metaphor of, of the body of Christ. Okay, The church has the actual body of Christ. Imagine seeing Jesus walking through this world today. Okay, Imagine, uh, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? Who would Jesus open his arms to? <clears throat> and then Paul says, we are the body of Christ at work in the world today. But here's the thing, okay? No single one of us is the entire body. We are all parts. And we all come together and do our job together. And when we do our job together, we actually do start to see the presence of God moving in this world. We actually do start to see the same things that Jesus was doing in this world at work all around us. 
See, when I'm thinking about what it looks like to be on mission for God in 2019, okay, I have to remember, there's no lone rangers in this business. There are no lone rangers in this business. God calls me in a moment to a task, and I'm obedient in that task. And then God calls the person sitting next to me to be obedient in your moment, in your task. And God calls the person next to her to be obedient in your moment, in your task. And when we come together, suddenly we start to see God doing things so much bigger than any single one of us could have imagined. And we do that across the generations. The mission of God is so much bigger than me. So what does it look like to be on mission, church? What do we have to realize? My actions are not my own. A lot of times we go through life and we think, you know, my actions only really affect me. And so I can decide. No. Our actions have implications for those who come after us. They matter for those who come after us. And that's a fundamental part of being on mission for God. Recognizing that our actions are not our own. The mission is always bigger than us. And so here's my question as we reflect upon what it looks like to be on mission in 2019, as a church, as one fellowship here in Waco. Are we willing to plant trees for the next generation? Are we willing to build roads for those who are going to come after us? Are we willing to labor in the fields even if we are not the ones to see the harvest that's about to come? Are we willing to be a part of a mission that is bigger than us? God is bigger than us. God's work is bigger than us. Not only about you guys, but that's freeing for me. Because that means the mission is not stopped by my personal failures. The mission is not slowed down by my uh, personal incompetencies. And believe me, I have enough that rattle around in my head to make me wonder if I can ever do the things that God has called me to do. God's mission is always bigger than me. It's bigger than my shortcomings. What does it look like to be on mission in 2019? means I'm not going to say, God, I can't do that because I'm not big enough. God hasn't called me to be big enough. God just called me to be obedient in my one moment. What does it look like to be on mission in 2019? Recognizing that God's mission is so much bigger than me. Recognizing that all I have to do is be obedient in the moment he's given me. And that when we all come together, we will see God move in mighty ways in our community. Is anyone here looking for God to move in mighty ways in our community? Is anyone here looking for a God who is so much bigger than our shortcomings? A God that's so much bigger than our insecurities? Is anyone looking here to see just how much bigger God is? Are we willing to step into a mission that's bigger than us? Are we willing to step into a mission that is so much bigger than us? I might not see the harvest, and that's okay. I might not, know, might not enjoy the fruit, and that's okay. And I say something that's close to home. We in churches, we like numbers, don't we? Y'all know what we want with that? It's okay. It's okay. God's mission is bigger than us. Tomorrow, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. We remember a life that was lived on mission for God. And when we remember this life, we remember that he did not work alone. Even though sometimes we tell the stories as if he did. 
We remember that there were many around him who came together and who were obedient in their moments. And it was the symphony of obedience out of the servants of God that led to mighty movements in our nation, my friends. Ralph Abernathy, Fred Shuttlesworth, Byron Crust, and Ella Baker, the list goes on. Each of them devoting themselves to a mission that was so much bigger than any single individual. Tomorrow we celebrate a life on mission for God. A life that was devoted to planting trees for the next generation. So my question, church, this morning, are we ready to be on mission for God? My question, church, are we ready to step into a mission that is bigger than us? My question, church, is can any of us hear the call of God this morning telling us that there is a mission for us in 2019? That that mission is bigger than us? All we need is to be obedient in our moments. Is anyone calling us to that moment of obedience this morning? That is my The doors of the church are open. Hi, my name is Nicholas Worse. I'm the executive minister here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. I just want to say thank you for listening. You can learn more about our church online at onefellowshipumc.org. And you can like us on Facebook to stay up to date with all the latest events in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others online so that more people can learn about what God is doing here at One Fellowship. Thank you, and God bless.